Would you all please stand for the reading of the gospel? This is from John 14, verses 1 through 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, I have been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am the Father and the Father is in me. If you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. The words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, today we continue our sermon series on Speaking Christian, Marcus Borg's book uh, by that same title. And today we ask the question, is Jesus the only way? And you just heard the scripture that we've heard so many times at funerals, we've heard them so many times from people telling us, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. We've heard this scripture before. We've heard this text before, and we've been taught that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And in what Marcus Borg calls a heaven and hell framework where, where salvation means going to heaven and everything in Christianity is about being forgiven and saved and sealed for the next life, this scripture, this very scripture has been used almost as a, as a well, sometimes as a prod. It's been used to justify a Christianity that has been seen as exclusive, a clobber scripture. This verse has also been used to stir up people to send missionaries to foreign countries to rescue the perishing, or so we thought. And many Christians today continue to believe or think that Orthodox Christianity teaches that Jesus is the only way to salvation, the only way to heaven. It is to say that we must know about and believe in the Christian message through and through, that we must use the right language and the right words instead of other words that we must know and believe the right language and the right words instead of other words, and this is where many people get hung up. 
Though many were people in this room are right there in that belief, and perhaps rightly so, for we know that knowing Jesus is different than knowing about Jesus. I wonder if the claim that the creator of the universe is known only to people from one religious tradition, I wonder if that can be true, for it has become hard to swallow for millions, and it has become hard for me. And so I wonder, what is Jesus really saying in this scripture from the gospel according to John? Is Jesus really saying that Christianity is the only way to really know God? The first thing I notice when people quote this verse from John is that they often leave out two very important words. And the words are, to him. We hear and say, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But what John records is, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who is the him? To whom is Jesus talking? Jesus is talking to Thomas. The statement of Jesus was an answer to Thomas's question. And what exactly was Thomas's question? According to John, the context for this whole conversation was on Thursday night before Jesus' crucifixion. It is Holy Week. Jesus is with his disciples and he knows that he will soon leave this world and he is trying to prepare his disciples for the events that are about to occur in what we now call Holy Week, the week that which we enter now. And after the Last Supper, Jesus spends the next four chapters of John's Gospel talking about how one of them will soon betray him. He's told Peter that he will deny him three times, and the result is the disciples are uncomfortable. They are a mess. And any of us would be if someone had walked, someone we had walked with for three years or more, someone who had shared life with us, eating, sleeping, walking, talking together, tells us that in the next week he is going to die. It is in this context that Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Are you kidding? Jesus! But then Jesus says that he is going to go away, preparing many places and that he will come back. And he tells them that they know the way to follow him, to which Thomas, practical, brave Thomas says, Jesus, we don't even know where you're going. Where is the GPS? Where is the map? Well, he didn't say it exactly like that. But his question is, how will we know the way? And notice that his question isn't, Jesus, are all non-Christians going to hell? That is not the question he is asking. The question is, how can we know where you are going? How can we know the way to follow you, Jesus? And that's my friends, I think is a very different question. And it's a very good question for us today too. How can we know the way to follow Jesus? And Jesus answers Thomas' question and our question by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow my way, follow my example, live the way I live. And when it's not with you in the flesh anymore, when I'm not here to tell you and show you, keep on living my way, my truth, and my life. 
Could it be that people of other faiths can live in the way Jesus lived? Is it possible that some people of other faiths can follow Jesus' example without even realizing it? Is it possible that people of other faiths could live lives that reflect the values and the priorities and the character of Jesus, the Jesus way, even when they don't say all the exact same Christian words and pray the believer's prayer? Could it be that if they and we live the way of Jesus, people will see their way to God in and through us? What is Jesus' way? If we look at the story of the passion, we see what Jesus' way is quite clearly. The way of Jesus is the way of peace. On that first Palm Sunday, as Jesus was going to Jerusalem, some of his followers were hoping that he would lead an insurrection against the Romans who were oppressing the Jews. They were a very violent people. And his followers would have preferred that he rode into Jerusalem as a warrior king on a horse with swords drawn, as the Romans did. But he chose to ride a donkey a lowly donkey. For you see, his kingdom does not follow the rules of these kingdoms. His resistance movement would be peaceful. His kingdom was not one of dominion and power. He came to bring peace, not war. He was the one who said, blessed are the peacemakers, for the way of Jesus is the way for peace. But the way of Jesus is also the way of service. At the Last Supper in the upper room, as his disciples were arguing about who was going to be the greatest, he simply knelt down and began to wash their feet, a dirty, smelly job meant only for servants who offer hospitality to their guests. Here he was, kneeling at their feet, washing their smelly toes. If you want to be great, he said, in my kingdom, you will have to serve one another. And that means kneeling at the feet and breaking bread with betrayers. Because this is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is seeking God's will, not our own. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane after that last supper, and he prayed and he asked his disciples to stay with him and pray with him and pray for him. For he was going to go into a time of trial. He knew he would be arrested and he would suffer under the cruel hands of the Roman government. Judas would be betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Now Jesus could have run away. He could have escaped the suffering that was to come. But instead he prayed, God, not my will, but your will be done. And I wonder, will we sell out for 30 pieces of silver? Will we when we are faced with difficult choices? Or will we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? The way of Jesus is also the way of the cross. And many of us were taught that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins as a substitution for us. Our hymns are full of this theology. O oh, sacred head, a beautiful hymn that always brings me to tears. I love it so. It says, mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Were you there? We've been taught that all of our sins died on the cross on Good Friday, but the idea that Jesus died in our place as a substitution for us is actually not in the Bible and was not taught in the church for the first thousand years of Christianity. 
Marcus Borg rightly points out, when we focus on Jesus' death as a payment for our sins, it completely obscures and obliterates the historical meaning of his death. Jesus was killed. He didn't just die. In fact, to put a finer point on it, he was executed by the state of Rome. It was a Roman execution, and it was a public for a reason. If Roman authorities didn't like what you were doing, they might quietly kill you on the side, hoping that no one would notice. And governments still do this. But execution on a cross is intentionally public because the goal is to have the whole city watch. It is a warning. It is to say by the Roman government, this is what will happen to you if you challenge us. Death by a cross was reserved for a special class of offenders, and many were crucified in the time of Jesus. Those who systematically defied Roman authority. The Roman government didn't like Jesus because he challenged their established authority and the status quo. And he was beginning to attract a following. Friends, God is not a punishing God who is bound to some heavenly rule that demands that God punish us until an adequate sacrifice is made. For it is God who makes the rules. And what kind of God would make such a rule? This poses God as a punitive God. Demanding a sacrifice to atone for our sins is a distortion of the Christian faith and does not align to an all-loving and all-knowing and all-powerful God who has the power over sin, yes, but does not demand violence to satisfy you see, the Christian faith is not primarily about sin, forgiveness, and believing that Jesus died for us so that we can go to a heavenly reward. The Christian faith is primarily about God's plan to transform us and the world with the power of love. The cross is about emphasizing that the gospel was, not an anti was an anti-imperial gospel. And in dying and rising again, whether from death or a cross or in our baptism, we are saying in the Christian faith that we die to an old identity and an old way of being, and we are invited to be born again into a new way of life. Jesus' death and resurrection is a revelation of God's love, a God who would love us to any length to save us from ourselves and our sin, yes, but because God will turn the world upside down with a love that transforms. God is passionate about a transformation of the world and death cannot and will not thwart God's plan to love the world so it will not perish. God so loved the world that God gave his son that we who trust in God's way, in Jesus' way, in the way of love and believe in his way should not perish but have everlasting life. You've heard it. It is true. And Jesus sacrificed his love. Make no mistake. He sacrificed his love and he laid it down on his own volition and he gave his life because sacrifice and love go together. Martin Luther King Jr. sacrificed his love for a greater love of justice that has set people free. Oscar Romero, an Archbishop of San Salvador, was killed in 1980 because of his criticism of those in power who were oppressing the Saldorian, Saldorian people. He sacrificed his life for the love of others. 
And Jesus sacrificed his life because he loves us and the whole world more than his own life. And so are we willing to live the way of Jesus? Will we sacrifice for peace? Will we sacrifice to serve others? Will we resist the temptation to give into the imperial powers of our day as Jesus did in his day? Today and every day, we see those who are willing to sacrifice their ethics, their morals, and their commitment to the way of the powers and principalities of our day. Friends, make no mistake. Whenever and wherever the church gets in bed with politicians, powers, and principalities who oppress the poor, who do not recognize the sacred worth of all people, who put power and financial gain ahead of their role to govern and provide for all people, when the church gets in bed with that, we have lost our way. And if we are serious about living the way of Jesus, we will remind each other and call each other into account. For we too are called to lay down our lives for the sake of others. We are called to walk yet another mile. We are called to resist the powers and authorities that are bent on evil. This is what Jesus was doing on the cross. Do you remember the vows that some of you took for membership in the United Methodist Church? Your pastor, my pastors, we asked you, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And if you became a United Methodist, you said, I do. And why do we ask this? Because you see, Jesus asked this of us, all of us. For this is what Jesus did. He died on a cross because he did this. And he rose again on the third day because God's love and forgiving and saving grace is more powerful than any powers of this world. Don't ever forget this. Nothing can stop God's love from overcoming and transforming the darkness in this world. Nothing. Jesus said, I am the truth. And this is the truth about Jesus. God did not send Jesus to die. God sent Jesus to make God's love known in his suffering and in his life, death, and with us, in his journey with us. And we know that Jesus knows us best. God, Jesus is God's embodiment of love. Jesus said to Philip, when you see me, you see God. When you see my works, you see God working through me. And Jesus said, if you believe me and you put your trust in me, you will do the works that I do, and you will do even greater works than these. Just ask, and I will do it. Did you happen to see all those bags of groceries in the East Entry this morning? Thank you. <laughs> I feel so dry now. <laughs> When you brought your food for those who are hungry, you were filling hearts and filling plates. And when we did, we were living Jesus' way and God's truth into the world. 
And yesterday when members of Hennepin Avenue Church got on those buses in the cold right here in this parking lot and went down to St. Paul to the Capitol and we stood for three hours marching, marching and waving and yelling and working for justice. We were resisting and we were saying that guns have no place in our schools. We were standing with our children, some of them very little, who were leading us to see more clearly that the lives of children are worthy of more protection than your right and my right to own a gun. And when adults forget this, our children will march and we must march with them. Friends, this isn't a matter of opinion. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus has no part in keeping the systems that continue to perpetuate violence in our world. For violence is never the way of the Christ. Never. 30,000 people lose their lives this, in this country every year because of our love of guns. Lord, have mercy. Hear our prayer. Friends, Jesus invites us this day to live the truth and his love into the world. And so the question I have for you this day is, are you willing to be the embodiment of God's love in the world each and every day when it is hard and when it is unpopular? Living God's way of love is the only way to really have life that is really life. Jesus said, I am life. In another place in John's gospel, Jesus said, I am resurrection life. And those who believe, those who trust me, those who will trust and follow my lead, they will find abundant and eternal life in this life and in all of life to come. For this is the way, the truth, and the life. It is the way of love. And no matter how you talk about love or call people to love, love is love and it all comes from the same God and it always leads to life. In December 1980, something of a miracle occurred in a little town called Langby, Minnesota. Langby, Minnesota has about 78 people in it's tiny, it's a tiny little town. And a man named Wally Nelson woke up one morning and he went outside and it was cold, really cold, and it had been cold all night long. And, and what did he find on his doorstep was a 19-year-old girl named Jean Hilliard, and she was frozen, and he said she was frozen as solid as a log. She'd sat there for six full hours outdoor in 22 below Fahrenheit temperatures. And she brought, he brought her to the hospital where everyone's disbelief she was revived with no more damage than a few blistering toes. And Hilliard became an instant celebrity. She toured local churches and talk shows, flew her into New York City to tell her story. She was the miracle girl from Langby, Minnesota. And she was even on the Today Show where Tom Brokaw interviewed her. But once the attention dried da died down, Hilliard said the experience didn't really change the trajectory of her life. Almost everyone she knew told her she was saved by a miracle. And so she kept on waiting for something dramatic to happen. 
But she said her life's been normal. She got married, she had kids, she moved to a mid-sized town in central Minnesota where she works at a Walmart. Things might have turned out differently for Hilliard, and she remembered, if she remembered that six hours she had spent frozen in Nelson's yard, if she had seen something dramatic. But she said, it's like I just fell asleep and I woke up in the hospital. And she said, you know what, I didn't see a light. I didn't see anything like that. And it was kind of disappointing. So many people talk about that, and, and I didn't get anything. Oh, Jean. Oh, Jean. You got life. You could have been dead, but you got life. You got the opportunity to wake up and smell flowers, to drink coffee, to have kids, to love your husband, to go to church, to walk through the woods, to hug your grandkids, to return a favor, to encourage someone who is discouraged, to lift someone up who is down on their luck. Every day you have the opportunity to live a life filled with love, and your life is precious, and my life is precious, and it is a gift. And it is from God. Each one of us in this room has received the gift of life and breath from God who loves us. And that love will never quit. And so Jesus says this. Do not be anxious. Because where I am, you will be also. Friends, God is right in this room. Jesus' spirit is moving among us. No bright lights are needed. Wherever there is love, Jesus' way and truth and life is present, transforming us and the world. Is this the only way? Yes. The only way to discover real life in this world is to love like Jesus loves. Love is way. Love is truth. Love the life he offers each one of us. For when we do, we wake up and we move and we can do what we cannot imagine doing. May it be so. May it be so. Amen.